Hello, this is Jack Ritchie, lead pastor of Happy Hill Church. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our service today. May you be strengthened in your faith, inspired to love, and filled with hope from today's message. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1 down through verse number 4. I want to preach about we cannot earn what is given. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the spirit of truth that brings revelation concerning your word. And I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would minister in our lives that that is needed. For Jesus said that you would speak what you hear him saying to you. So I pray that you would speak to us that that is released through the message and the preaching of the word, but also that through your own voice speaking directly to our hearts and lives. I pray that even over the next few moments as we're together today, that you would advance us in the growth of grace in our lives. And I pray that you would speak to areas that you see that need to be changed, rearranged, adjusted. We have old foundation that needs to be removed. I pray that you would begin to address that foundation. And I thank you that upon the correct foundation of Christ, that you would build in us a place where the stronghold of the Lord would possess both spirit, soul, and also our body. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I want to deal with this message today. We cannot earn what is given. And in the first half of this message, really, it's about the law. So why would you want to preach about the law if you really want us to grow in grace? Because sometimes we have to know what we were saved from to help us understand just how amazing grace is in our journey. So when we were born, because of what took place in the garden, we were born in trespass and sin. In other words, our spirit man, the, the part of us that will live eternally. And there will be living eternally. We will either live eternally in the presence of the Lord because of our faith in Christ and salvation by grace through that faith, or we'll have separated from God for all eternity in His presence. We were born because of that in trespass, or we were born with a sinful nature. We were born alive in the natural, but we were born dead by the Spirit. Because we were dead in trespass and sin, mankind had no hope. If we were not born a Jew, then we weren't a chosen people. And I'm talking about thousands of generations ago. If we were not born as a Jew, we were a Gentile. We were without the, the choosing of God in that day and hour. And so he supplied his people law. We think of the law often as the Ten Commandments, but actually there's more than just that, and we'll hit that this morning. For the rest of us that were outside of being a Jew, we were just in trouble. There wasn't any real hope for us. We weren't chosen. And because the standard of the law was such that nobody could truly maintain the keeping of it, God sent His Son, Jesus, and through Jesus, Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law, every Old Testament prophecy about Him as the Messiah, and when He cried out, it is finished, and gave up His Spirit, everything pertaining to the will of the Father for why He was sent and connected to our salvation was fulfilled, accomplished, finalized. He preached to those who had not known Him during His time of being in the grave. He released the message of the gospel. He released the message of the good news. And the reality is we're here today, and if we're saved, we are saved by that same message, that Jesus came and fulfilled 
all of the requirements of the law, he conquered the power of sin, the penalty of sin, the consequence of sin. He conquered and became victorious over death, hell, and the grave so that those who have faith in Jesus being the Son of God and that God had raised him from the dead would be saved by grace, something we didn't earn, something we didn't deserve, something we couldn't work hard enough for. It's his undeserved, unearned, unmerited kindness and favor released to our life. And the moment that we put faith in Christ, we were saved by that grace. Now we no longer live without hope. We actually have the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. And we have a responsibility to share the hope that we have in Christ with other people that may not initially know that there is hope that they could have. Jesus came to a people in the day and season who only knew the law according to their Jewish traditions and what had been passed down, having been given to Moses by God. So with the Jews, there were two uh, subjects of law. Number one were the moral laws. That's where we get the Ten Commandments. And then there were ceremonial laws. The Gentiles, needing to make things more difficult, added a couple of other areas. Not only were there the moral laws, the Ten Commandments of God, but there were also then put in judicial laws sections of the law, murder, manslaughter, things of that nature, ceremonial laws, which would have had to do with the feast, and broke them down into other categories such as dietary law, which dealt with what was clean and unclean. The Ten Commandments. I was actually going to skip over this and just kind of move through it and refer to the Ten Commandments, and then I suddenly realized something that I was reminded of back probably within the first two years of leading a church, 1995-96. I had made a statement, um, well, you know the story, and I moved on in the message. And I had an older lady that came up to me, very kind, very correct in her approach, but even more so, her, her heart was right, but what she had to say was right. She said, Pastor, I'd like to share something with you. When you said today in your message, well, you know how the story goes and you went on. I just want to remind you, there are people who don't know the story. And I've thought about that from that day forward. Now, I can't say uh, over then the next 25, 26 years, I've never made this statement. But if I have made this statement, I usually try to tie in part of the story. And so I was just going to share that about the Ten Commandments. And I thought, you know what, there are people that don't even know what the Ten Commandments are possibly, whether they're in this building or whether they're online today. They may not even know where the Ten Commandments are found. So those Ten Commandments are actually found in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to find that we have these Ten Commandments. And then if you read through the book of Leviticus, which is a challenge all by itself, and Deuteronomy, we find that there's not just ten laws. or There are ten commandments, but they're not just ten laws. There's actually 613 laws. The Ten Commandments, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make any graven images or idols. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. In fact, this is the first commandment that we have with, with a blessing connected to it. Because it goes on to say that you might live long on the earth. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. Number ten, you shall not covet. Besides those ten connected to the law, we have 603 more. Now, we need to realize that nothing about what I've just shared is bad. There's nothing about the law that's bad. Sometimes... It can sound like somebody's sharing the law is bad or that they're preaching or teaching that the law is bad. And the reality is if they use that in their context, they're very wrong. That's incorrect. How could anything be bad that God put in place? 
This was put in place so that he could come to and connect with his people because sin had entered into the situation. Sin complicated things in a horrible way. Jesus took care of all of that. But thinking about these laws, I printed, printed them out. A couple of weeks ago, I just kind of perused through them. I forget now how many pages. Nearly 20 pages of the law. So I just want to help us today. Because here's what can happen. We, we, we can only be saved by grace. You cannot get saved by the law. You can only be saved by grace. Faith that we have in Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. The law, the law's not going to save you. It's impossible for it to save us because we were born into sin. So the reality is you would have to keep all 613 laws. If you broke one, it was as though all of them had been broken. We broke them when we were born. Well, actually, I'll go back to this. When we were conceived, there was an old nature. 613. I read 10 of them to you. Here's a few more. To recite grace after meals. Oh, now, so if you just did it before, you broke the law. I'm not telling you don't pray over your meals, folks. We're under grace. I'm just saying, isn't that interesting? Number 36. Now number 37. To relieve a neighbor of his burden and help to unload his beast. Number 39. Not to leave a beast that has fallen down beneath its burden unaided. Make sure you do something about it. Number 57. To exact the debt of an alien. Number 66, that an Ammonite or a Moabite shall never marry the daughter of an Israelite. Number 70, to take a wife by the sacrament of marriage. That's a good one. Number 128, to rest on Pentecost. Number 129, not to do work on the Feast of Pentecost. Number 158, not to eat a limb removed from a living beast. Hmm. Number 170, not to do wrong in buying or selling. Number 180, not to take a pledge from a widow. Number 197, not to sell a Hebrew maidservant to another person. Number 202, not to muzzle a beast while it's working in produce, which it can eat and enjoy later. Number 215, not to gather the fruit of the tree in the sabbatical year in the same way that it's gathered in the other years. If you don't know the sabbatical year, you're really messed up. Number 245, not to hear what one of the parties to a suit is saying in the absence of the other party. Ooh, that sounds like gossip. <laughs> Number 278, not to slay an innocent person. That's good. Don't do it. Number 289, to hang the dead body of one who has incurred that penalty. Number 309, to heed the call of every prophet in each generation, provided that he neither adds to nor takes away from the Torah. Number 330, not to swear by an idol to its worshipers nor cause them to swear. Number 402, eh, I should probably have, well, I already said it. That an uncircumcised person shall not eat of the truma, the heave offering, and the same applies to other holy things. This rule is inferred from the law of, Pascal, of the Pascal offering by similarity of phrase. But it is not explicitly set forth in the Torah. Traditionally, it has been learned that the rule that the uncircumcised must not eat holy things is an essential principle of the Torah and not an enactment of the scribes. Number 459, to sanctify the first thing, firstling of a clean cattle and offer it up as a sacrifice. 490, not to eat the mule 
of the offering bought by Aaron and his sons. Aaron must not have been a good cook. I don't know. 558, not to offer up a beast that has a temporary blemish. Number 574, to carry out the ordinance of the red heifer so that its ashes will always be available. Number 608, that anyone who is unclean shall not enter the camp of the Levites. 612, that the evil done by Amalek shall not be forgotten. 613, destroy the seed of Amalek. There's a whole lot of, if you want more, if you'd like to learn more about the law, you'd like to be trained in the law, you'd like to be developed, I'll just leave it up here for you. Because some of you have been saved and you're trying to live by it anyway. You might as well get used to what you think has saved you. Woo, you didn't see that bomb coming, did you? Here's a reality, is a truth. We can only be saved by grace. Once we've been saved by grace, we're supposed to do what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, or yeah, 2 Peter 2 and 18, or 3 and 18, that we should grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We should not grow by the law. But some of us live our life thinking we'll get greater favor or that somehow we can earn or merit or do something to maintain our salvation even though we did nothing for earning our salvation. Now we will in this series a little later deal with what works really looks like because we have been saved for good works. But we've not been saved by good works. And we've not been saved by the law, nor the letter of it. When we look at some of these areas of the law, there are probably more than, but I'm going to share just very quickly four purposes of the law. Number one, the law is a master. Galatians 3, 24, 25 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. A tutor in this day would be a man who took charge of the boys who were school age. The responsibility of the, of the tutor was to get the student to school, to the teacher, and then back home from school. The tutor is not the teacher. They simply bring the student to the teacher. And Paul is saying... The law should have just pointed us to Jesus. The law was more like a master. Number two, the law is a mirror. Romans 7 verse 7, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. The law is a mirror. It, it can be a reflection. Again, there's no, there's no real way that we can keep those 613 laws. The thing that's amazing about it all is that Jesus did. 33 and a half years. He was not born into sin, for his father was not an earthly father. He was conceived by the Spirit of God in the womb of his mother, Mary. He never, all of his life, broke one of the 613 laws. He never broke any of the Ten Commandments. And he fulfilled every prophetic scripture about him as the Messiah. He did what was impossible to do. And because he did that, now we have the Spirit of the Lord living on the inside of our life through faith. But in the day and season of the law, the law could help somebody understand how they're doing. Now, in one context, there are areas of the law that maybe would allow us to see what we're doing, but we're not living by the letter of the law. We're living by the power and the work of the Spirit of God in us. Not only is the law a master and a mirror, the law is a map. Psalm 119, 105, David said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Throughout this uh, chapter in Psalm 119, David will refer to the word, the law, precepts, 
and statutes. The law, he was saying for him in his day, was a map. It helped him to know how to be directed. And the law is a measure. It can show or reflect how someone is living. But it can't empower them to help them live the right way. Though it could be a measure to show them. No empowerment. Hebrews 8 and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Before Jesus came, it was a wonderful measure to be able to look. And yet at the same time, it was a challenging measure to be able to look at how we were doing compared to the law. But then the writer of Hebrews quotes from the Old Testament something that God was speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. I'll take out the heart of stone and I'll put in you a heart of flesh. He was saying, I'm going to write my law on their mind and I'm going to write my law on their heart. So the reality is we don't live by the dictates, the codes, and the ethics of the law from its law standpoint. However, because God gave the law and in Christ it was completely fulfilled, the work of the Holy Spirit in us will not be contrary to the things that God also put in place. In other words... When I just think about the Ten Commandments, if all we hear is, do this, don't do this, we think legalistically in our mind. But if we can see grace, and once we begin to grow in grace in the here and now and see how it's threaded through the life of Christ in the Gospels and through the epistles of each one of the writers of the New Testament, we begin to also go back and read the Old Testament. We begin to find the thread of grace running through. And so therefore, we look at the Ten Commandments. Some people look at them as this. Other people, when they understand grace, look at, well, that's all about relationship. It's how we relate to God, and it's how we can also relate to people. You remember Jesus was asked a question. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he qualifies a statement. And the next is just like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus broke it down into love, love the Lord and love people as you love yourself. When we look at the Ten Commandments through the eyes of grace, all ten of them are about how we connect and love the Lord and how that relationship affects us so that we love people. If you kill somebody, you don't love them. But Jesus said, if you hate a brother, it's the same as killing them. Jesus went, whoo. He, he referred to, you talk about the action of adultery. But I say to you, if a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, He's committed adultery. And that's one of the things that he says in his, in his commandments. Don't do it. All of them have to do with how things can injure the relationship with the Father and how the relationship with people get affected, get injured. They're not bad. All of them are good. We should and we should not. As wonderful. But the reality is, none of that empowered us to do good. It is salvation by grace, having His Spirit dwelling in us. Before salvation, we had the law on tablets and scrolls. But after salvation, He's now written them in our hearts by the work of His Holy Spirit. We now have His Spirit living within us, empowering us to live in grace. You had enough of the law yet? That's not in my notes. That's just a... Well, let me keep on. Looks like you're loving the law. 613 laws. 365 are negative. 248 of them are positive. Not only do you have the 613 laws, then you have from generation to generation 
religious leaders, Pharisees that began to develop, and they added potentially thousands of additional sub-laws clarifying what God actually meant by what he said. So you might have, thou shalt not kill. And then seven different points on why God said, don't kill people, and this is really what he meant about don't kill people. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? So there were not only these 613 laws, but there were all of these different add-ons. And I'm telling you, the spirit of religion, I'm 100% convinced personally, is steeped out of the kingdom of darkness to try to get people into works that they'll, that they'll never realize or that they'll never achieve what they've already been given. Is that we don't earn what's been given to us. Grace, grace has been given to us. And we can't, we can't earn it. So if you're trying to earn God's love, if you're trying to earn God's favor, if you're thinking God will, God will be happier with me if I do this, or he'll be angry with me if I do that, you've got to realize what he put all of that on Jesus. And our faith in Christ changes everything for our life. And so therefore, I don't need thousands of interpretations on how to live this life. I need to know the Word of God, and I need to let the Holy Spirit do His work in me. For Paul says, we have been anointed by the Holy One who knows all things. If you have been anointed, separated, set apart by the Holy One who knows all things, there's nothing we can't come to know in Him. So for the Pharisees, they not only tried to follow the, the 613 commandments of the Mosaic Law, but they created all of these thousands, potentially, of new commandments to try to clarify how we keep the commandments. So, for example, to follow the rule of not working on the Sabbath, there are literally thousands of sub-rules to follow, including how many steps you can take, because if you take more than that amount of steps, then you're working on the Sabbath. And how many letters you could actually write down on the Sabbath. And the problem that we have with the Pharisees is because while most average Jews in Jesus' day and even today didn't attempt to follow all of these additions to the original law, the Pharisees did, and so they wanted those that they were training to do the same, and they wanted to put those requirements on others. The Pharisees prided themselves on following not just the letter of the Mosaic law, but even the letter of the man-made rules designed to clarify the law. Most notably, the Pharisees sought to abide by the external laws that distinguished the Jewish people from every other nation. The laws that made them outwardly distinct. These laws included things about what you could and couldn't eat, what you could and couldn't wear about circumcision, about how to pray out loud, etc., so forth and so on. I've heard some of these Pharisees preach in churches. That's not in my notes. I might not should have said that. But it's the truth. Jesus' critique of the Pharisees was that they were legalistic. They were only concerned with external appearances of keeping the law, but they weren't truly concerned about the inward spirit of walking in the law. Here's what he said, Matthew 23, 27 to 28. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, in my version, exclamation mark. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's Jesus preaching to the preachers in his day. But John chapter 1, John tells us that Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. 
Why did the religious leaders have such a hard time with him? Why did they want to kill him? Well, ultimately, it was the purpose of the Father. But why did they want to kill him? Oh, man, they thought he was a heretic. They thought he was demon-possessed. They thought he was a partier. He's hanging out with sinners. And their lives are changing, and people are wanting to follow him. And that's a problem because if they follow him, and he's preaching things contrary to what we are expecting people to live by, that's an issue. Well, the enemy needs to do something about that. Well, the Jews, well, they, they, they knew how to relate to God through keeping the law. But when Jesus came, he was going to change the subject. Matthew 5, 17 to 19, Jesus makes this statement. Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. That's a big statement. He did not come to do away with what God put in place. He did not come to remove himself from the prophets. No, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will not by any means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. When he cried out, it is finished, all of his responsibility had been finished, his responsibility had been fulfilled, and over the course of the next season of being in a tomb but also out ministering in a way that we did not know in places, descending and ascending then to the Father, when the Father raised him from the dead, everything was finished in the heavens, everything was finished by the work of Christ on the earth and below the earth. Everything was fulfilled now in Jesus. And now we could know grace and be saved by it, and we could grow in that truth. A couple of weeks ago, I preached about being married to grace, and I'm not going to go into all that message, but I just want to remind us today that when I dealt with this marriage, some of us, well, all of us, were married to the law before we came to Jesus. There was a requirement of that. The problem is the law cannot justify a person. It cannot make a person right with God. The law cannot empower a person. The law cannot make a person do the right thing. But my last point in that message was that love can. And not just any love, but what John defines as love. When he writes in his epistle, God is love. What I'm saying there is that love does justify and love does empower because of who God is and the demonstration of who He is as a loving God. He justifies and empowers those. Righteousness comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Righteousness or being right with God does not come in any way with fulfilling or trying to accomplish to fulfill any acts of the law. It is about Jesus' righteousness, according to our righteousness, even as good as we might have been, all of our righteousness is, the Bible said, is like filthy rags. And it's easy enough, I'll be somewhat PG here, it's easy enough to think a filthy rag is, you know, ladies, when that guy comes in and he uses the towel in the bathroom it wasn't supposed to use because he washed his hands is all dirty some of y'all don't know do you some of y'all like what's he even talking about yeah some of some of you know there are some towels we don't use we learn lessons by using the wrong towel but we and now you're like well if this doesn't wash out it'll just be an old filthy rag but that's not what that is Filthy rags, and I'll keep it PG, but I need you to understand that there is a time once a, once a month for ladies. That's what filthy rags are in that context. Our righteousness, our right stuff, our trying to think we could do all of this and make ourselves right with God, well, that's what it's equated to. Ugh. 
However, because of Jesus and his righteousness, when we are saved, we now have the righteousness of Jesus in our life that will, by the power of the Spirit, yes, help us do right things, but it's because of his righteousness in our life. We're right with God the Father through Jesus, not over our actions, over him and what he's accomplished. Before Jesus, we were married to a fault-finding, critical, judgmental husband. That's the way you could view the law. But in Jesus, we're now married to a loving, compassionate, sympathetic, merciful Savior. And that's our husband. Now, I know that there have been times I've heard this argument or I've heard this statement. If you, if you really preach grace, people want to go right out and sin. Well, if, if, if your former husband, the law, was nothing but fault-finding, critical, judgmental, and then you get married to Jesus, who is loving, compassionate, sympathetic, and merciful, does that make you want to go out and sin? Now, I'm not saying we won't have issues in our life. What I'm saying is anybody who's truly saved by grace doesn't want to go out and just go willingly and blatantly sin. There may be things that happen in their life that are sinful that they're going to have to repent of and the Holy Spirit is going to convict them of and we're going to walk through and deal with and we've got to line ourselves up with the Word. Yes. But how does a person that never even knew that something was sinful before they got saved, after they get saved, in that very moment, know everything now is sinful. They don't. We're saved. Ah, this is a message for another day. Don't go there. Well, now, man, I got to. I will develop this out more. But let me talk to you just for a moment about the three tenses of salvation. We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. We have been saved. When we place faith in Jesus Christ and we receive grace unto salvation, we are saved. Our spirit man is born again. We go from darkness to light. We go out of one kingdom into another kingdom. And we are saved. And he knows how to keep what is committed to him. Our spirit is saved. Past tense of salvation. Present tense of salvation. We're being saved. Holy Spirit is working in our life. Holy Spirit is bringing conviction in our life. Holy Spirit through the word uh, or the written word or through something that he convicts us of or maybe sometimes it's through preaching or teaching or maybe a conversation with somebody and the Spirit of the Lord convicts us of that and we know that it is sin, then we repent. We ask him to forgive us of our sins and if we ask him to forgive us of our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means he forgives me of the very thing that I am repenting over that I know right now is sin, but he's also cleansing me from all of the unrighteousness I'm not even aware of yet because of the righteousness of Christ and that's happening in my soul, my mind, will, and emotions. It's where the old nature likes to try to have its way. It is certainly where the kingdom of darkness will try to affect and create turmoil in our lives. There are battles that are won in that area. We are working out our own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. We are being saved. We will be saved. Our physical body. Whether we die before Jesus' second coming or we're caught away in Jesus' second coming, then we're not going to have this body anymore. We're going to be given a new body, an eternal body. 
something that will not have any effects of the things that we've known here. Perhaps the best version and beyond of what we could dream about our life. And we will be saved. Part of the will be saved is that while we're in the journey of our life here, we are holding fast as believers in Christ to the hope that we will not always be in this state. In eternity with Him, there'll be absolutely no area connected to sin or the fallen. None. None whatsoever. We see that there'll be no weeping, which means there's not going to be any sorrow. So there is this process of salvation that happens immediately in our life forever, and then there is the walking things out. Here's what most people, and I shouldn't say that, here's sometimes what people have issues with. They never settle that they have been saved. And so they treat, keep trying to get saved every day or every time that there is an issue in their life. If you get the have been, it'll take a whole lot of turmoil out of your present and the fear that you're scared to death you're not going to make heaven. It's based on Jesus and what Jesus has done. His salvation, it's His. Now we'll deal with, I'll, I'll get more in depth than that. I don't, at a later time, it take me too long today. And I'm about to wrap up and close. So we'll develop that out. I also will deal with in this series, something I said earlier about the works that we've been saved for. We can't get works of salvation and works of what we've been saved for intermingled. And we'll also deal with this. It is possible to fall away from grace. So for this hyper-grace doctrine that is rampant in the church, that says you've been saved, you can live however, however you want to, doesn't matter. That doesn't line up with the depth of the truth of the word. You've been saved, so you never need to repent again. Hold on just a second. 1 John 1, 9. If I ask him to forgive me, that's repentance. That's coming into agreement with him over the issue of my life. The hyper-grace message that's out there is a ditch, and it is incredibly dangerous. As well as this ditch of thinking that we can live this Christ life by the deeds of the law, and that's great, great, gaining us favor and keeping us saved, and uh, uh, that He'll love us more, and He won't be angry with me, and all of those things. Both ditches are bad. They're, they're, they're destructive. And they will destroy people, and they will hurt people. We want to stay in the middle of the road. Now, being in the middle of the road, if somebody's in one ditch or the other, some of the stuff that I'm preaching and teaching out of the Word, it's liable to rattle some people. I've had people that have got upset at me. Now, if they've got upset at me here at Happy Hill, they haven't come and told me I'm upset at you. I just assume you not tell me that, but if you do get upset at me, let's deal with it. But that's not the case. Grace is absolutely amazing. We cannot earn what we've been given. So let me come back to Romans chapter 8 and I'll, I'll land this plane. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you ever heard that verse quoted? You ever heard a believer encouraging somebody else? Hey, listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a truth, but you have to take verse 2 with verse 1. For the law of the spirit of life and death has set you free from the, excuse me, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
So if we walk in the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, absolutely, we don't experience condemnation. But when we begin to experience condemnation, it's because we are walking by the flesh. We are walking by the carnal nature of the soul realm to where we are needing to deal with that issue of our present tense, working out our salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. Grace does not release condemnation on people. Trying to keep the law will because you never live up to what the order is. <clears throat> For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Three quick things. One, because of Jesus, we are set free from the requirements of the law. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. Number two, because Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. Verse three, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. The law wasn't weak itself, but through the flesh of people. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Number three, we are righteous because of Jesus. Verse four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, believers in Jesus Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul said in Galatians 2.21, I do not set the grace of God aside. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If anyone knew how to write, connected to the law, not that the other apostles didn't, but Paul, he was one of the cream of the crop on all that. And a lot of what he had been ingrained, trained, and developed, equipped in had to be undone in him. And God the Father, through Jesus, assigned to Paul the message of grace. No one writes about it more than Paul does throughout his epistles. And yet, Paul had difficulty with it as well. Not difficulty with the fact of believing in grace, but how it all works through our life. So if there are some challenges in it, hey. I think it was Brother Johnson maybe said a little earlier, even Peter the Apostle. Peter, the only other person that I know of outside of Jesus that walked on water. Even Peter said about Paul. Man, some of the stuff he writes is difficult for me to understand. He wasn't discounting him. He was just saying there was a realm of revelation that Paul had. And we will find it. This passage, these few verses in Romans chapter 8 are part of what theologians uh, really have defined as chapter 3 of Romans through chapter 9 of being the grace series of Paul's writing in the book of Romans. But it's in every thread of the epistles that we have and certainly it's throughout Galatians in such a strong way it's been said don't preach on grace if you do people will just go right out and sin but saving grace does not cause people to go out and sin preaching on the law will cause people to potentially go out and sin, but it will certainly create the opportunity for them to struggle with it. Grace does not produce sin. It produces righteousness and holiness. So it's easy sometimes that we might think in our, 
our mind because things in the kingdom are often upside down or reverse order, such as if you want to receive, you give. If you want to have authority, get under authority. If you want to be great, serve the least. If you want to be first, go be last. If you want to live, you got to die. You know what I'm saying? Things are different in the kingdom, a little opposite of what we know. So it might be easy in our natural mind to think that if we want people to live holy, then we should just preach the law. However, the truth is, if we want people to live holy, we should preach the truth of the word according to grace. Grace that's undeserved, unmerited, and unearned. It is the gift of God for salvation. Because law does not produce holiness or righteousness, and grace does, it is love, that love of the Father that released His grace, and it is His love and grace that He sent by the power of His Spirit to govern our lives. Romans 3.20 says, By the law is the knowledge of sin. 1 Corinthians 15.56, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Romans chapter 7, verse 5, For when we were in the flesh... The sinful passions were aroused by the law that was at work in our members to bear fruit unto death. The very thing that sometimes, let me go back, the very thing that for at least the first first 13 years, 14 years, of ministry for me. I preached a lot of the law. Meant well. My heart was right. But sometimes we don't realize, according to Scripture, the very thing we're preaching about the law that we want people to be free from is the very thing that's stirring up the sinful passions of the old nature. And so years ago, I don't know how many years now it's been, at least back to 2006, somewhere in there, the Lord took me on a journey for me to know His heart as a father and to begin this growth track on grace. For the longest time, I didn't preach it. I didn't teach it. I certainly didn't, know, did, didn't do a series. But I was trying to figure out how to walk through this. Because I was trying to rationalize certain things. And from time to time, I still have challenges. I'll come across something and I'll look at it. Okay, help me to see how I grow in grace over this. But I remember in those early years, Jan and I being raised differently, that she made a statement one day. And though I believe it was her words and it was her mouth, when I think back to that day all those years ago, I believe it was one of the things the Lord was using my wife to say to me. And she said, and I quote, Jack, if it's this hard, I'll never make it. Now, I don't know if you can relate to those words. And I wish I could say that the moment she said those words... It got my attention and changed everything. But it didn't. But the Lord has taken me back to that statement more than once. Or I've remembered it more than once. And I've come to realize religion, the spirit of religion, religious people who have this form of godliness but their heart's far from Him, They make salvation and walking with the Lord way too hard, just like the Pharisees did. I I mean this with a very, I don't use this word too often, but I really, really, really hate religious spirits. Because it not only affects our life, it will affect the people around us. Let me tell you, if you're a young parent in here, or you're about to have children, or someday you're looking, 
May I get on my hands and knees and I beg you, please, please, please learn grace. Because if you're really good at the law, you'll teach your kids how to be really good at the law and eventually they'll get tired of it all. If there's one thing I could go back and do in all my life, I'd go back 30 years and I would teach my kids the love of Jesus and the grace that he has for them. But I didn't do that for years. I loved them. I taught them about the love of God. But there were times I made it so hard when he didn't. In my journey, I learned it and our two youngest were definitely affected by love and grace more so than my oldest two. And to this day, I still look at things and I still have conversations when the right time's there to try to undo some of the things that I know it's there because of me, not anybody else, because of me. I don't live in the regret, but I regret it. I'm telling you, maybe some of you are there and you relate. Listen, don't beat yourself up, but don't live under that law. Please grow in grace. That's what Jesus wants. And I have found in my life that one key of grace in somebody's life is they are so gracious. And a key to people who have law in their life, they are so legalistic and hard. They may be wonderful people. And I don't fault them because, man, we've been ingrained by works. We were born into works. Many of us, we, we learned and were developed by a works mentality even in the church. But your works aren't going to save you. Father, I pray today that the seed that's been sown would find good ground in a way that only Holy Spirit can take it and place it. So that what you're wanting to do in each of our lives will find that good ground, that fertile soil. And that the word would be protected and the truth of what you're wanting in our lives would be protected and it would create a new growth of harvest that we would, by the work of Holy Spirit in our life, the power of his administration in our life, that we would do what Peter encouraged and admonished us, that we would grow in your grace, Jesus, and the knowledge of you as our Lord and Savior. And I pray every area that in our life that needs to be challenged by old order, sacred cows, that you would challenge them in your time, not by the works of flesh or the fleshly preaching, but the work of your spirit in us. And I pray, Father, if somebody in this gathering, whether online or whether in this sanctuary, has been injured by people who were so legalistic, I pray today, Father, that you would release a measure of grace to them to heal them, but also to deliver them and set them free, that they not hold on to that or not hold that against somebody, but to release them today. And I pray, Father, if there have been those of us who have walked in former seasons, or maybe you've awakened us that we are currently walking in that legalism, that today the grace that you've granted us releases forgiveness in our life. And I pray that you would empower us to turn from legalism and begin from this moment on to grow in grace. And that you would help us to be such gracious people that people look at our life, they don't see us anymore. They see your grace at work. And they see Jesus and the work of Jesus in us. And it brings glory to your name, Father. 
I ask, Holy Spirit, that you do in us what only you can do. And with it, that you would bring freedom in our life. True freedom. That we might live in the freedom wherewith Christ Jesus has died to make us free. I pray the Lord would bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. And his graciousness to rest upon you. The Lord would lift his countenance upon you. that he would give you his peace. That old things would begin passing away so that grace and the newness of his life in Christ Jesus can begin to burst forth and spring forth in your lives, our lives, like never before. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to today's message. If you would like to connect with us or you would like more information, you can find us at our website at happyhill.org. You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, as well as Instagram at Happy Hill Church. And remember, we're better together.